Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. My Good Bad Brain is a podcast about mental health and being a person from a very much non-expert. But, you know, it's a place of validation, solidarity. We talk about our things. And if you like all that, you like to support it, check out patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain or Go pick up some My Good Bad Brain merch at mygoodbadbrain.com. Uh, thank you for your support. Oh, leaving a, leaving reviews is also dope. All right, theme song. Let's get into it. Miss you guys. Welcome to My Good Bad Brain. I'm a normal person, so I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better. Still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful. Hi, hello. It's good to be back, of course. You know, uh, it's the new, it's a new year. I haven't talked to y'all in a little while. And um, I'm sure if there's any audience in the world who understands <laughs> taking a little reset, thinking about things, being overwhelmed, looking at your life, all that stuff, I'm sure it's you guys. So I haven't talked to you since really like maybe Thanksgiving. I mean, I, th- I did the uh, hotline, which was great and lovely. And still, if anybody wants to contribute to the hotline, please, please, please do so. Uh, that number is 213 213- Five three seven four zero three three. That being said, I got some new ideas for the pod in the new year, um, and I'm not going to talk about it more until I work out the tech and this thought I'm having. But I think it'll be a really cool thing that we can do with this pod to make it more, I don't know, focused in some ways and more in y'all's hands. And on that note. Uh, today kind of sees the return of our good bad brains and uh, you know I've always done interviews on this show maybe the new year who knows maybe we'll do more interviews with uh, influencer types and things like that I don't know but my favorite ones are things like the hotline re-inspired me about are hearing from everyone who listens or who just becomes aware of it and is interested in sharing their story because I I don't know the message I consistently get from folks about the thing that's good about this pod that they seem to like about it is that sense of validation and solidarity that comes from hearing people honestly discuss what they're struggling with and honestly trying to get better through it and honestly living through this fucking thing called life being a person, right? With a mental illness, <laughs> usually. <laughs> I'm going to come up with a better word for mental illness, man. I'm really feeling the neurodiversity thing, having like diverse brain shapes, perhaps. I don't know. Just I just think that's the thing. It's like there's a place for all our brain shapes whatever. So today 
I reached back a lot of y'all. I, I said a while ago, hey, if you want to be on Our Good Bad Brain, wrote me at uh, mygoodbadbrain.com. And I've still got this stack of emails that uh, I've responded to some. Most of them I haven't. They're just there because I am who I am. I'm this overwhelmed maniac with a bunch of different ideas all the time and passions and whatever. And ugh, I mean, y'all listen to the pod. You get it. So I reached down and I went back and I was like, who are people who wrote me back in like the spring? And I reached out and the first person wrote back uh, was uh, Maria. Uh, just going to go by Maria for this app. And we had this lovely conversation. She's in Australia. And we got on the FaceTime and figured out the time difference and uh, had, a, had a, a lovely conversation about anxiety, depression, and um, some stuff related to borderline personality, uh, BPD, which I think is really interesting uh, in particular. Um, because in a field, like we're already like trying to fight this stigma of mental illnesses and even among people who are into that who already do their best not to stigmatize things and understand mental illness is a real thing blah blah bpd still gets stigmatized some therapists won't work with dpd people it's something that maria talks about in here so i think it's really interesting to talk to people who have that particular brain shape and see what they go through because i think we find a lot of similarities, even if we aren't diagnosed with that thing. And one thing that I have found interesting throughout this process is realizing how many of us, just because you don't have that specific diagnosis, it's like, I mean, the, the thing I've said in the past is like, you could get a rash and you don't know if that rash is from a virus or a bacteria or an allergic reaction or a chemical reaction is something you bumped into. Maybe it was a plant. You know what I mean? You can have the same symptom from many different causes, from many different mechanisms, biologically speaking. And so I think similar behavioral issues could be comparable to that rash, like certain reactions we might have or overreactions or underreactions, whatever, might be similar across diagnoses. And that becomes the sort of puzzle of figuring out yourself and your life and understanding that solving the problem is Almost certainly. I mean, speaking as a non-expert at all, you know, I'm going to say from just my experiences and what I've taken in front of people, I feel like I can borderline guarantee that it is not going to be a one-step solution. It's not going to be, I got this pill, or I read this book, or I did this one physical practice, or this one mental spiritual practice. It's, it's just not going to be a magic bullet. It's going to be a process of understanding your mind, your behaviors, your habits, your choices, and then your own specific neurochemistry and how other chemicals might benefit that or hurt it, you know? It's like this constant rechecking with yourself that can become quite exhausting and and kind of, I don't know, disheartening, I'd say. And so before we get into this talk with Maria, I just want to touch on that as we start this new year. A thought I was having recently is that I become very resentful and very upset and very beaten down and very just tired by the idea of starting over, by the idea that I've worked through a problem and I've got to work through it again, whatever it is, or I just haven't gotten where I want to be in my career and now I've got to reapproach, or I'm going to start a new passion and I've got to reapproach, be a beginner again. I, I'm older now and I'm tired by it and it's difficult uh, to do. At the same time, as I resent that process and I, I get frustrated instinctively, 
I also think to myself, damn, if I could go back in time with the things I know now and reapproach my life, it would be so much better. I would love to do that. And I don't think you can have both of those thoughts honestly without realizing what a contradiction that is. And so I've started to think about the idea of starting over, reapproaching, recycling myself as time travel, basically. That it is time travel. If you say to yourself, man, if only I could go back in time and do this thing again with what I know now, guess what? You can do that now. You can take what you know now and start over on some level, you know? So I'm doing my best to do that with a better fucking attitude than I've had earlier in my life. Instead of being so miserable, beaten down, letting it all add up, I'm like, fuck that. Fuck all that. New year, new day, new minute, new me. You know what I mean? And also accepting that some of us are just going to go through phases in life. And I'm going to say maybe most of us. So now I'm calling it the Jer Bear method of time travel, I guess. <laughs> the bear method, right? You just repeat over and over. You gather, you gather, you gather knowledge, you gather practice, you gain these insights, blah, 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 blah. And then you hibernate and you lose most of it, maybe, but also maybe you're just internalizing some of it and some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. And you come back to the practice and wow, some of it's still in your hands. Man, I started playing piano again because I used to practice piano a little bit on my on my roommate's, uh, he had like a piano in the house, Jason did back in the day when we lived together. And I would play on it a little bit with this little app. And then he moved, we moved, whatever. Allie got me this amazing uh, digital keyboard for christmas it's it's so great i started using the app again and even though i hadn't touched it in like a year everything came back like so quick you know like the things that i knew and i've been progressing and i think that is a nice little metaphor to say just because you're starting over doesn't mean you're starting over but it's a good idea to start over this is the last little metaphor i'll add to this in martial arts they talk about this thing white belt mentality that like you just got to approach every situation with a white belt mentality like, if you approach it like, I already know this shit, I know how to box, I know how to fight, I know jiu-jitsu, but you're in a kung fu school or learning knife fighting or whatever, but you go like, no, I know how to fight though, you know, then you're not going to learn anything. All right, one more little story. This is my favorite one, the empty cup thing. Sometimes people will say, or I'll say the phrase, you got to empty your cup, you got to empty your cup, you know what I mean? It's hard to do. And it comes from some Zen story, I think, where there was like some Zen master and this other person came to study with the Zen master. Maybe it was Kung Fu. I don't know. But it was it was like this person was coming and the person he's telling the person, I've studied with this person. I've studied with this person. I'm an expert in this. I'm an expert in this. I know all this stuff trying to like sell this guy on like take me on as a student. I'd be a great student. I know all this shit. Blah, blah, blah. And while he's talking and just going on about himself. The teacher says, oh, do you like some tea? And the person says, sure. And they just keep talking while the guy comes over and starts pouring him tea. And he's pouring the tea and he's pouring the tea. And then the tea starts to overflow the cup. And the guy goes, whoa, wait, what are you doing? Like the cup, my cup is overflowing. I'm, I'm full. And he stops. And the teacher goes, you're the cup. You're already so full. You're telling me about all the knowledge and the things you know. You're full. So what do I have to teach you? In order to learn something from me, you're going to have to empty your cup. You know? So, that's my thought. New year, new us. Got some new ideas for the pod. I'm going to try to be employing here in the next few weeks as we get into a new year. More regular uploads and uh, a a different format I'd like to try. Um, Anyway, without further ado, 
Thank you so much to Maria for joining us for this lovely conversation. I hope you get something out of it. I hope you find something that uh, you you learn from it because I did. I always do. All right. On with the pod. Um, well, you know what? I, in the interest of just like how I've tried to shift doing interviews, I'll just I'll just because usually what ends up happening is we chat for a while and then I realize we've already answered a bunch of the questions. But why don't we just mm. pick it up and I'll say, "What's your stuff?" Let's just start with the first of the six quick cues. Nice to meet you. I'm Jared. Okay. Hi. Yes, I'm Maria. Nice to meet you. Uh, yeah. What's your stuff, Maria? My stuff, um, just like the general anxiety and depression combo, um, which has been like since I was really young and I was diagnosed when I was 17. Um, and then kind of like traits of borderline personality disorder, which we talked about when I was 17. Um, but my psychologist was like, well, I can't really diagnose you because you're not 18 yet. And I was like, okay. So I just kind of deal with that. And, um, Basically, everything's just kind of turned up to 100, I think, in terms of like my sensitivity and emotions, just feel things a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, do you, when in that thing, because I do think that's interesting, like, I'm interested to hear more about your experiences with that. I don't know. I think one of the weird things about having mental stuff is, I don't know, I I have a lot of IBS as well. I've been like, you know, Mm. and which is a funny, might sound funny, but. I don't know. I just finished doing this thing. I just put up today with the the hotline mail, you know, voicemails mm. people left and stuff. And and one thing I was thinking about with it is, and I've talked about on this podcast a lot, is like how mental illnesses really are physical, like in you know, yeah. as, or as physical as really anything we experience. Mm. And, so, and and with the uh, IBS stuff, which I've had for like a long time, it's it can be very frustrating because. It's like mainstream medicine doesn't necessarily have it all figured out. It really doesn't with that. Oh, it's like, absolutely not. You know, and I think there's a lot of crossover with mental health stuff and like stomach health stuff because some mm. of it's affected by your just emotional experiences or your traumatic experiences. Some of it is just gut bacteria. Some of it is yeah. just, you know what I mean? Some of it's allergies. So I guess I'm interested. I talked to Nick about this a little bit at one point too, but like, Yes. I, I. What do you think? What was it like for you with this hesitance around diagnosis? Like did diagnosis, what did it feel like to finally be diagnosed or for them to hold off because you're young or, you know, what was mm. that like? Yeah. Well, speaking of, first of all, like totally get what you're saying with the physical mental stuff. Like from what I've learned studying to be a dietitian, like there's so much oh. like the gut brain axis and all of that. It's all really strongly connected and we're still just learning about it and it's a bit crazy um but yeah with me it was it was weird because from from really young I was having these experiences of like just really intense emotions and really intense like I guess depression Mm. really intense sadness anxiety but I didn't feel like because I wasn't seeing anyone at the time this was maybe when I was like from 12 to 16 I didn't feel uh, confident to claim any mental illness as my own. Like, obviously, I hadn't been diagnosed, but I didn't feel I was unwell enough to get help. And I remember once I was at a party um, and I was crying because, you know, when I would drink, I would cry back in high school. Oh, I do know We start drinking really young here (laughs) in Australia. Me too. That's so funny. First time I drank, I was like 16 or something. I Mm. think it was Bacardi 151 and I just cried a lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's the way. And I remember, yeah, I was crying and um, my friend came up to me and he was like, what's wrong? And I was just like, oh, I'm so unhappy, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, well, you're depressed. And I was like, really? Like, I'm allowed to like own this, you know, mm. after being unhappy for so long. And then obviously eventually um, I properly got diagnosed and stuff like that. Um, but it took a long time because in my family, like, kind of I've realized now that everyone's kind of mentally ill, but no one talks about it, mm. which is really common. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so common, like with just every, especially in America, but I think probably just everywhere. I think America and Australia have some, I think some similarities just from surface. I mean, I, but you know, in this sort of like colonies of British things, I think we've had this like inheritance of sort of British culture, like mm. suppression. And then yeah. also coupled with kind of the types of psychos who would like go far away <laughs> who would like mm. leave you know a place and because they yeah so it's like i don't know i always think that about with the history of america which is so blood drenched and horrible and colonialist i'm like mm. also you'd have to be like like isn't it obvious that it would kind of self-select for a kind of person who wanted to just go someplace where they could take things and do crimes without it being <laughs> you know without with very little consequence um, yeah. they would come here you know for mm. the, anyway so i i always think that our our heritage as like a culture seems mm. sort of similar where it's like don't t yeah you, a lot of fucking crazy people but since we're mm. so capitalist it's like if you succeeded financially and were crazy that's fine <laughs> nobody cares yeah you know what i mean yeah a lot of it yeah in my family and my background is greek like my grandparents mm. migrated here and a lot of it is yeah it's really useful and successful to have all of the external things lined up like money and you know a nice family but as long like you don't need to show any of yeah. anything else you know i wonder if that's not just sort of like a global generational difference it feels like those of us in the i don't know millennial and lower are all are all kind of not about that anymore there's so much more yeah. or or the extreme opposite like extreme suppression <laughs> mm. but a lot more i don't know i feel like a lot more comfort and not even comfort but it you know there's this thing they say i think it's like an aa thing where it's like but just changing in general like you won't change until the discomfort of staying the same is more than the discomfort yeah. of changing and it feels like mm. for all of us like generationally there's there's some quality of that yeah i feel like yeah generally it's really positive that we're being raised to kind of, I guess, question things and be it's safer for us to express things. And so we kind of can realize earlier that mm, something's up and maybe we should like talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing you started looking so young because I, I avoided going for any kind of evaluation even for so long because I was honestly mm. afraid of like a label, you know? Yeah. For me, it was more reassuring like I enjoyed yeah. my diagnosis because I was like okay well at least this is why I am like this um but I didn't really go for it like I was seeing a school counselor mm -hmm. and then I was just doing so badly in school that my guidance kind of counselor for the year called my mom and was like she needs to see a therapist that wow. was kind of the the tipping point yeah so it wasn't really I didn't feel comfortable t talking to my parents, so he kind of took the reins on that. But I'm really glad he did because clearly I needed it. So, yeah. Oh, that's such a blessing to have people 100%. in your life who are that engaged, who are just paying mm -hmm. attention, you know? 
Yeah, and it was interesting the dynamic between like people like him at my high school who were very concerned with our well-being and like the principal at our high school was who was more, more concerned with us, you know, doing well in our exams mm-hmm. and less about mental health and that was a bit of a struggle as well, so yeah. yeah. So so did you end up did you end up with this a diagnosis of um bipolar? Um not bipolar, so it was anxiety, depression and then talking about symptoms of borderline personality borderline. disorder. What is yeah. that? What is the what is the difference or what is borderline? Because I've heard that phrase often and I've looked into it a little yeah. bit, but what is that? So basically it's just a, a personality disorder that's characterized. It's also known um, sometimes now as emotional intensity disorder. Mm. And so, um, yeah, characterized by really intense emotion, um, fear of abandonment, um, trying to list off the symptoms like uh, – chronic feelings of emptiness, mm. uh, risk-taking behavior, suicidal wow. behavior, kind of like log lists of stuff. And so that's stuff that I kind of struggle with, um, like kind of it kind of like rises and falls with me depending on what kind of situation I'm in and things like that. Um, but it's really helpful. Like they have a special kind of therapy for it called DBT yeah. or dialectic behavioral therapy and my new therapist is kind of uh, – familiar with that so that's been really good yeah can uh well actually let's move into that in a second because i'm so interested Mm. in i've heard of dbt it's weird because all those things you just listed i'm like me 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 (laughs) oh that sounds familiar um and some of those were wrapped into adhd stuff as well and and they say um like the thing you said I, i do think a lot of these you know names that these diagnoses have are like pretty poorly named because they mm. give us a bad i don't know they, they they paint a picture that's like adhd is a, an example where I, I think if we just understood it more as like dopamine deficiency or something like that instead yeah. of then you would understand that it doesn't always even show up as hyperactive like that emotional intensity thing is one of the mm. is one of the things and same thing with borderline is like borderline just sounds like they're on edge, man. You know, I mean, instead of being like emotional intensity or something. Yeah. Well, it was actually named because in the very beginning, they thought it was borderline schizophrenia. I think that was the historical origin, um, which is, we know is wrong, which is why there's been this push to change it. But the stigma with BPD is insane. Like, I don't know if you know, but if you like Google, like help for BPD, it's like help for dealing with people with BPD. (laughs) That's all the articles that come up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tell lot. me more. Tell me that's that's like I feel like that's what I'm saying. It's like when you hear that phrase, it sounds like mm. I don't know. It sounds like it sounds like saying psycho or something like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. There's like you know, it's there's books. You know, the only book on my lib in my library, like my local library about BPD, is like again for friends and family members of people with BPD. And, you know, that's not great. And apparently certain um, therapists won't work with people with BPD. Really? It's like, yeah, there's a huge stigma. Um, And I'm really lucky because, like, in terms of having these symptoms, that I'm kind of, there's something that they call like a quiet or silent borderline, which is kind of like instead of directing my emotions outwards, most of the time it's inwards, which is still bad. Right. But what that means is most of the time people aren't aware. Like I'm not lashing out in angry rage at people all the time, which can be something that happens, yes. you know, with those intense emotions. Most of the time it's like inward and I do a really good job, I think, of hiding um, right. of hiding it to the point where, you know, I'll tell close people and they'll be surprised. So, yeah, yeah it's a really 
it's an interesting that's dynamic. again that's like that's very resonant with the ADHD experience because they're mm-hmm. like they talk about um most I think it's like most adults who have a diagnosis of it um don't even exhibit what they call external hyperactivity you have mm. a, you have a emotional hyper arousal they say you know you're yeah. internally very you know go, going nuts i'm also curious about um so again i think this is just important to point out is like destigmatizing and sort of understanding like mm. what what these experiences are like for these people and it is interesting too that mental illness is i think I even don't like saying that phrase really. I'm not like weird about like woke language typically, but mental illness always feels like off to me, but, but, Mm. um, mental illness, whatever, for lack of a better phrase right now is like any, most other diseases that are medical ailments. I don't think we think to ourselves immediately like, Oh, what a hassle that person is going to be for everyone else. Mm. (laughs) You know, we think like, Oh, that poor person, like they're really going through it. They're really fighting through. Uh, yeah. And I, it is interesting to note, like, borderline is definitely one of those things where you think to yourself, like, that is the kind of cultural association and stigma. Is like, as soon as, like you said, therapists won't even work with some BPD people. Mm. That's really, that's got to be, that's frustrating. But I think it's nice that you're, you know, talking to me right now just to, like, pr- present somebody else who's actually experiencing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the rise of you know, as you said, young people being more open and people being more online. Like there's some really good, like, people out there talking about their experiences, which is really valuable. Um, And I think the more that happens, the more we can kind of remove this stigma. And and 100%, the whole, like, physical versus mental illness thing, I think, is still something that we're trying to deal with, like, being like, oh, it's all in your head. And it's like, well, everything kind of is... Yeah, it's still real. It's still real. It's still real. I think that's what's so frustrating is like kind of, and I I assume this is part of what DBT is about, which Mm. I want to ask you one more question on the stuff part of it before I I Mm -hmm. get into that, but um, is about that, like that reality or what our sense of what is quote unquote real is something that's kind of like flexible. We can take take some more control over it because our Mm. brain does it to us sometimes. Um, I don't know, but, uh, I wanted to ask about, you said this thing, risk seeking behavior, like mm. what is that? How is that man? And this is very much for my own personal interest. Cause that's something that I have, I've used that exact phrase for like my behavior yeah. in my life. And, yeah. um, and I've had therapists use it also. So I was just curious, like, what does that look like for you? Cause not everybody's like out climbing mountains and stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, it's more so like the things they list off with BPDs, like risky drinking, drug abuse, um, risky driving, uh, like indiscriminate sex. That's like unsafe, things like that. Yeah. With me, I tend to get like, I have some issues with alcohol, like a lot of people do. Um, and I tend to get this like feeling every now and then inside me where it's just I just describe it as like a reckless feeling like I just want to like I feel like I need to jump out of my skin and do Mm. something you know that might not necessarily be good and I don't know where it comes from and sometimes I can mitigate it by just like getting a cool haircut or something (laughs) Um, but yeah things like um yeah alcohol for me for sure like I've been using it to kind of help manage anxiety and emotions for ages and it's something I'm still trying to kind of cut down on and I'm considering just like trying to be sober for a while yeah 
that's a good segue we'll just say we've officially entered mm. the two like what have you tried section mm. but um i will say i used alcohol for a long time there are so mm. many like socially acceptable um to a certain point i guess but mm. socially acceptable self-medications that we can do and yeah you know one of them it's interesting because i think a lot of the things you listed drugs alcohol sex in a weird way I, even though they're also parts of society do shun that stuff. There's kind of a character, especially if you're an artistic or creative person. Oh, yeah. You know, I felt like I really, for a lot of my 20s, like really, I thought that's what the world liked from me and wanted from mm-hmm. me. And then I could just I- embrace this like self-destructive, like yeah. sort of beautiful mess stereotype, yeah. you know? Yeah, I resonate so deeply with this. I think I even like when I was younger and I was feeling so unwell, I would kind of fantasize about being this like you know how you see sometimes romanticized in the movies this like crazy girl who's like doing this and drinking and self-destructive but it's so beautiful and she'll eventually be loved and then once you kind of get to that place you're like oh no no one likes this this is not this is not good yeah I remember I will just share I mean this is the problem with it is it's like there is a romance to it there is a Mm. like when I look back on my life I am grateful for the things I've survived for mm. the funny story that it is now or yeah. for or for like the full ass human experience it was. I think we're supposed Absolutely. to, you know, that Fiona Apple well-made mistake. I think we're supposed to do that shit sometimes and be a person mm. you're allowed. But I do remember spe- I had a specific <laughs> it should have happened much earlier. I feel like I have a, I have a lot of uh, this isn't cute anymore stories, but yeah, I do remember one I was teaching. I just remember like, Man, I won't go into the whole thing. I'll tell the story some other time. But long story <laughs> short was like, I remember I got so drunk. I was at Friends of a Friend, this house of this girl, and mm. who were still like acquaintances, like coincidentally through other friends. But I was so drunk because we had gone to this one bar and then another bar and ended up back mm. in the house. And that I was, her dog, dogs sometimes they don't sense... um they don't like people who are drunk. You know what I mean? Like even mm. if you're a dog person. And this dog ended up, I was just cuddling too intensely with a dog I didn't know. And it bit me on the face. Just oh, as a, not a bit, just as a like, hey, fucking stop it, you know? Mm. And I was like, oh God. And I was so drunk that I didn't even, re- I was like, I knew something had happened. There was like sort of mm. a, a fast movement. But I was like, did he bite me? Did I just, <laughs> he bit me, huh? And I could tell the owner like didn't, Feel, was like freaked out but trying to be normal about it you know because mm. they realized oh this fucking drunk idiot is like in my house just the dog bit them because he's being a fucking idiot and now my dog's gonna be in d- trouble and this is fucked you know i could tag mm. i remember seeing all that and being like just is it bad let me know is it bad and i was bleeding through my lip and it was so silly uh and and she had some paramedic so we went in the bathroom with other people there they were like looking at my face and I'm bleeding through my lip and uh, trying to figure out if it like punctured through. It was so crazy. I could barely feel it. And one of them just goes, oh, my God. And I had half of a burger on my ass. Like I had (laughs) sat on a burger somehow. And it was like literally just a burger stuck to my ass that I didn't know was Mm. there for who knows how long. So I ended up like without my pants on, on this person's bed, like with all these other people around bleeding from my face. I had to teach a CrossFit class of all things the next morning, so hungover. Okay. And then I ended up at this diner by myself, feeling bad and alone and disgusting. And I ran into a girl mm. who I had been seeing, but ghosted on because I was a piece of shit. And I was mm. just like, this isn't cute anymore. I was like, yeah. this is fucked. 
and embarrassing. And I don't yeah. think this is a funny story. Now I'm just a drunk idiot with a fucking bite in my face who really yeah. didn't show up for these wonderful clients this morning. Mm. What is wrong with me? I'm not showing up for anything. You know what I mean? I was just like, absolutely, this fucking sucks. Anyway, so that was a little bit of a digression, but you just made me think about it. And I was like, you know, there's aspects where I think it, you ride it for an extent. You ride it like this is my character. Yeah. And then, but eventually you wake up and go, I fucking don't like being this way. Yeah, yeah, like there's that moment where you kind of go outside of your body and you're like, uh, who is this and what am I doing? Um, and I think with me, yeah, with getting drunk and all of that, it's like the character I've kind of become to my friends when we go out is like just like fun entertainment clown person. Mm. They're like, oh, what's Maria gotten into again? Ha-ha, like she's so drunk. Ha-ha, she's doing that. And like that's fun but also not so much fun for me you know yeah because you've got it that's like you're that now you're just that. yeah so okay so i totally get the drinking thing um i would mm. say also if you've been thinking about it like do do consider trying stopping for a while I, I mean i did it for like the first time i did it actually was after that and i did it for like 30 days i think and mm. it was so hard it was crazy yeah. how hard it was but i did those 30 days and then, you know, started drinking again. And then, um, and I did take like a year off last year. And then, mm. uh, which ended up, I was just, I felt something in me had shifted because it was so much easier to do um, at this mm. point. But uh, I don't know. I don't think we should be too hard on ourselves. I understand why, you know, obviously you're already thinking about it. I don't think it's like an automatic guilt thing. And, you know, but um, I would say, I think it's worth, if you if you're thinking about it, just... I mean, I have, I also even recently, I was smoking weed still a lot and I haven't smoked mm. weed. Uh, maybe like one time I had a gummy when we all played Magic the Gathering for a night. But like, um, you know, I, I, I've been off that for like four or so weeks just to like feel where I'm at. And it's been really good yeah. because uh, I think I've been interacting with my depression a lot more honestly, not yeah. taking anything, you know? Yeah, I think because I did take five weeks off drinking this year for a particularly like bad Nice. Day. How did that feel? What was that like? It was honestly pretty fine, but then when I started again, I was like, oh, shit, I forgot how much I love this kind of thing. I, um, I it's totally kind of, get that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's kind of perfect for me because, like, it's kind of, you know, you lose your inhibitions and I feel like I'm always so inhibited and I'm kind of – I like being extra and outgoing and having mm. fun and I find that just – Drinking gives me an excuse to do that and it cuts out the voice in the back of my head that's like, what are these people thinking of you? Like, are mm. you making a fool of yourself? And I can kind of just do it. Yeah. But really, I should be able to do that anyway. And I think the yeah. things that I'm like alcohol to cope with, I'd love to just be able to cope with them, you know? Yeah, completely. I, I do think the nice benefit of it also, just as I got a little older, was like um, – realizing the friends who I didn't like hanging out with sober and the ones who mm. were still like, I loved it and it was no problem was like yeah. really helpful to realize who, mm -hmm. like who are my drinking partners and who are my friends, you know? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So drinking, uh, what else? Uh, <laughs> tell me about, um, DBT or, or any medications you might've tried. Yeah. So when I first went into therapy back, um, so it was like six years ago, uh, I, it was just CBT then. And, um, I went on SSRI. So I went on Zoloft for about a year. And CBT um, is cognitive behavioral therapy, yes. right? Okay. Yeah. Just the general stuff. And I found that the medication really helped because I was kind of in crisis mode then. It was kind of like, I couldn't 
yeah do much you know and that kind of just helped like a lot of people say just get me to the place where I could use the tools that my therapist was giving me um and then I just kind of slowly weaned off them and kind of weaned off therapy after about a year and then kind of like oh I'm recovered like I'm fine now I'm gonna go to university I'm gonna do so well I'm so fine and then you know, slowly, slowly, I'm like, oh, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I need some more help. Well, yeah. what um, were you drinking while doing the SSRI thing? Did I'm gonna notice- say yes. Okay. I'm just curious if you, any, any, yeah. if you noticed a difference, and or you know, did you did those things interact weird at all, or for you? Not that I, not that I noticed specifically, but I've never really handled alcohol well. Like it just doesn't yeah. sit right with my body. And I'm quite a small person, and so I have a really low tolerance, and it's just a bit of a mess. I wonder if there's something, because I mean, I'm not like particularly small or anything, but Mm. I've always had, I've also been very cheap date like my whole life, you know. So, Mm. um, and I wonder if, I don't know, there isn't something with our brain chemistries that are so extreme already that are like susceptible to, you know what I mean? I mean, you build up a tolerance over time, but I I Mm. assume there must be some connection. Yeah, and I feel like I've never built up a tolerance, honestly. I yeah. just, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Um, but then, so this year was my honours year at university. So it's like really intense writing a thesis and mm. also doing placements in hospitals like as a student. Yeah. Um, and that was really rough, like really, really rough. And I was like, okay, time. I, I kind of like made the the choice to go back to therapy when I kind of started relapsing into self-harm, which is something that I did a lot when I was younger. Mm. And I was like, okay, that's a sign. That's like the real sign that you needed. Um, let's go back into therapy. And that's yeah. been really good so far. Yeah. Well, actually, um, the first therapist that I went to like this year that my doctor recommended was really bad. Really? <laughs> um, she was kind of, I don't know, it just didn't click and she I had told her about a relapse with self-harm and she was like, okay, so here's a sheet of feelings. Like what feelings were you feeling? And I was like, uh, and then she um, recommended when I was in these really hyper-aroused states and kind of had those self-harming urges to stick my head in a bowl of ice water. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I don't know how I feel about these strategies. I kind of want to like figure out what's going on mentally, uh, but sure. And so I did the hard and right thing to go find a new therapist and she's lovely. So it's been really good. Well, that's so funny. Um, a couple of things about this. I just like, sometimes mm. I just pause and I just want to like highlight things that, I think that to mm. me seem important. One, that is, I think, an experience that is not uncommon to mm. not necessarily drive with your therapist or, or worry that you're not going to so that prevents you but like so important to try different people to like go mm. you know and so very good and if anybody's listening who's like yes find someone who yeah syncs with you it's just like you know you got to date around whatever uh mm. but also i was gonna ask you this earlier i think that's a funny example of one you were mentioning that like how this thing yes a lot of people say which is that the medication helps you get to a place where you can Uh, use your tools and I was just Mm. curious if you could share like do you remember that's obviously a a pretty extreme example of stick your head in ice water um Mm. which I could see working for some people for some things but um what were some other what were tools that you had from CBT or that um maybe now DBT that what are like can you give me an example of a tool that you ended up able to use or that you 
Because I think that's always that's a phrase that gets thrown out, and and I'm always mm. like wondering, yeah, what are those tools? Is there anything that someone could listen and be like, oh, I should, I'll try that, you know? Yeah, I think for me, it's kind of a constant dialogue with myself of like questioning my thoughts and my feelings and being like, hmm, where's this coming from? Like, because a lot of the times, like, I'll have quite intense feelings but I won't necessarily know what kind of event it's come from um and and what's kind of caused it and so kind of being a detective and investigating I do a lot of journaling and I kind of talk to myself in that way and just be like okay that happened let's try to figure out like why that happened what we could have done differently a lot of reflection really yes it's like cultivating this like third person view of yourself yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, I did. I meditated a lot this year, and that started to help with my anxiety. And it's so crazy that like I go through these like because it fluctuates quite a bit. And I was a phase this year where I was like, "I'm cured. I don't have anxiety anymore. I just meditate all the time, and everything's fine." <laughs> and then uh, that kind of ended. Um, but then I found that kind of. I was doing it a lot and then it kind of like gave me too many existential thoughts and I couldn't really participate in the real world. Interesting. With the me- with in the, the meditating? Yeah. Like wow. I found it, it takes – because I'm just like naturally inclined to like find existential philosophical thought. Yes. And then once I was doing it all the time, like all I wanted to talk about was like – what do you think this is what do you think life is who are we and like people don't want to talk about that all the time so <laughs> yeah that's so it's difficult to like i'm yeah. like that also and yeah honestly i think that's why good bad brain has slowed down so much part of it is because i worry it puts me too much in that headspace to reflect mm. every, which is also part of why i reached out to you and started reaching out to people again because this is this is to me the best part of this is just us talking seeing what other people mm. are going through and not getting so stuck into my own experiences and you know what I mean yeah um, because yeah. yes I think that one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately and this is a question I think everybody you know interacts with at some point or throughout their life and I've definitely have in the past but it's it's um basically the question of like am I my thoughts or am I my actions like am mm. I how I feel and who I think I am or am I what I do and yeah. I'm much more becoming more interested in the the doings of me. Like, and, oh my God, and, same. You know? Yeah. The exact same thing has been happening with me too because I find that a lot of the time, you know, I'll wake up with negative thoughts or in a negative mood and I'll just spend so much time trying to fix that. And then I'm like, like cognitively. Right. And then I'm like, okay, but what can I actually do? And that's, I was just talking to my therapist about it yesterday. It was like my new strategy is like okay I might wake up feeling anxious or in a low mood or having these thoughts but like I can still to the best of my ability like have behaviors that kind of reflect my values and be a bit more conscious about it and then hopefully the feedback loop goes back around that way. Will you tell me a little bit more about what your experience has been of uh, this dialectical behavioral therapy and maybe how it differs from cognitive? Yeah, um, so basically there's four main elements to it. I'm going to try to remember them. So there's mindfulness, which we all know and love. Uh, There's emotional regulation, which is something that I struggle with. I think we all do. Um, Emotional regulation, distress tolerance, Mm. 
and interpersonal effectiveness. Um, and so basically mindfulness is, yeah, meditation kind of did help, but then it just kind of sent me down this rabbit hole. So doing like grounding yourself in your body, I, I find that's that can be really helpful yeah. if I'm like having a really intense emotion. Um, and then kind of a lot of it is reflecting on experiences. So if I've had a really kind of um, – it's kind of like a panic attack, but it's more of like an emotion attack, you know, like just a really heightened state of anxiety or upset or anger. Yeah. Um, then in retrospect, reflecting on that, what triggered it um, and kind of just exploring the reasons behind things um, because I find that a lot of my behaviour and feelings are kind of left over from well, this is like therapy 101, a leftover from things that happened when I was younger. It's like, right. mm, I don't like hold these values or believe these things about myself anymore. Yeah. But these patterns are just so hard to break, you know? Yeah, that's so, I think that is uh, related to, at least for me, to the thoughts of like the doing versus, you know, um, being person mm. that I was thinking a lot about all these, yes, what you just said, old stories that yeah. I keep telling myself and and uh, and realizing sometimes like, you know, I don't know, do I believe that any do I am I that person anymore? Am I just doing these old patterns? And I think I've just it's it's actually sort of similar, I think, to this self conceptualization as like a self destructive artist person that like, mm. yeah, I had that idea about myself so strong. I just kept reinforcing it by being it. And and I think, uh, you know, I, I this idea of myself as somebody who's like fucked up and so i keep mm. like behaving that way and i'm like because these yeah. things fucked me up when i was a kid and you know that's not to say this is i think always the struggle is like is like and maybe perhaps this is where the dialectic is uh most expressed but yeah. honoring and interacting with the reality of what those traumas are and what our brain does and all those things um while also honoring our own ability to like change that story if we want to yeah and meet ourselves like where we are now, which might be mm. more well than we've been. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I find that with my work with my new therapist, I'm kind of like cognitively I believe I have, you know, a lot of self-worth and I think I have quite so high self-esteem. So why are my behaviors necessarily reflecting that, like behaviors that are like constantly seeking validation? And then so we just kind of go back and we think about all the times that that kind of served me. Yeah. when I was younger yes. and then but it doesn't serve me anymore so we've kind of been doing like old rules and new rules which has been really helpful yeah. so like surrounding relationships what were the old rules or the old beliefs who was that serving and then to serve like your beliefs and values now what are the new rules kind of thing yeah that's great yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you also, just because I'm curious, because I've only recently started SSRI for the first time. You said you mm. did you took Zoloft for like a year. Yeah. And then what was it like? Did you notice a difference when you went off it? Did you feel different? Um, not just from while you were taking it, but did you feel like different from how you felt before, better or worse or whatever? Not necessarily. Look, it was a while ago, but I yeah. think. A lot of things happened at once, kind of. Like I finished high school, I started seeing a therapist, I went on SSRIs mm. and like even going on birth control, like that yeah. that affects everything as well. And so I don't really know what what did what and what right. 
like what contributed the most to my recovery. But no, I think as long as you're weaning off with a professional, weaning um, off, yeah. then yeah. And then just like going from there and seeing how you feel. Yeah. Okay. Are you taking any um, uh, prescriptions up now? No, not at the moment. Oh, cool. That's cool. I'm just, that's so, yeah. So you're just like DBT now and doing your life. Yeah. I just kind of, because like now when I'm talking to my therapist at the moment, I finished uni, I'm starting a new, new job in February. So it's kind of like very calm and in between. And yeah. so there's not so mu- much like tumultuousness and I'm like, cool. But I know that I need to anticipate and prepare <laughs> for um stuff that might be coming down the road, more anxiety provoking stuff or emotional stuff. But at the moment I'm pretty stable. So it's, yeah, yeah, I think if, I think if things get a lot more stressful, things get worse then we might consider it. But for now doing okay. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you just, uh, Mm. and you can say no to this. It's like, it's It's totally fine. But um, I'm curious about, because the risk seeking behavior is something I feel like I've experienced, but I'm just curious about um, the self-harming stuff Mm. and what is the sort of experience that you have. I don't think we, I don't think anybody does harm to themselves unless it's like really necessary. You know what I mean? Yeah. This um, person on the, on the last good bad on the hotline thing says something that is really moving to me. There's this one part where they um, share that they've uh, attempted suicide a bunch of times and mm. and they say um, how exhausting that is and they mm. say that it's really hard work to try to kill yourself and mm. it's so beautiful and horrible and they're like, it just, I can't explain it. I don't want to be doing it, but it just seemed like I really had to at the time. And I'm just curious to know because I don't think I've had different, I think I look for other ways to hurt myself, Mm. but I'm curious, like what is your experience? And I've heard about people, I I think in my mind that maybe it's related to the experience of um, eating disorder stuff, but I don't Mm. really know. And I'm, I would just, if you would like to share a little of what it does for you, what what it feels like when you feel like you have to do it and why and, and how you deal with it now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think it started with just having these really intense emotions and these kind of what I term emotional attacks. And I remember the first time I self-harmed, I was 12 and I was just having a really, um, yeah, really, really sad, really angry time. And that just, I honestly don't know what made it seem like the thing to do. I guess I knew that some people did it. I guess I knew that it was associated at the time it was associated with like the emo mm. subculture. Right. Um, and I was like, some people do this when they're sad. I guess I'm going to try it. And um, I think, yeah, it gives some sort of in the moment release. It's like a, a coping mechanism to kind of like take you from a really heightened state to kind of coming back down. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of reasons, like looking back now, only in retrospect, I can identify that like, because I was really unwell, but not, not much externally was happening, um, negative in my life. Like I had quite a normal childhood, no real issues at home, no issues like going on externally. I think it was a way of validating my, Mm. my feelings because I was like, no, let me prove to you that I'm actually feeling really unwell. Because, you know, people don't take teenagers seriously 
when they're distressed or depressed, you know? Yes. Yeah, and so I think and a part of me, like it wasn't to seek attention, but part of me wanted people to see so that they could understand how I was feeling. They did, I feel embarrassed. So it was kind of this interesting thing and it just went on kind of all through high school and I managed to mostly keep it hidden. And then obviously when I got into therapy, it was like, okay, how can we stop this? And I found having a therapist that took it seriously was very helpful, Right. you know, even though it wasn't kind of life-threatening. Um, she still took it really seriously, which was helpful. But then there's, like you were saying, there's um, a lot of body image and self-image things that come into it too. You know, there were times I just really, really disliked myself and I guess that was kind of like a punishment thing. Yeah. So it's really, really like multi-faceted. Um, yeah, I that um, I think one thing that even I experiencing these things sometimes like occurs as a surprise is um, understanding any of these that there's a a weird but real logic to why mm. we do what we do that mm. and, and you know especially when it's something like, like you said, emo culture, like it, it becomes a punchline in the larger culture. You know, there, there's sort of this, you're a teenager and you're emo, that like it's not taken seriously. And mm. the way you just described that, I, I didn't expect and is really interesting to me because it is like, there's a total logic to it. There's like, mm. internally, you're like, I hurt so fucking much. Mm. I mean, I remember, I've said this, I think on the, I don't know, but I remember like a, one of my first therapists, I was in there one day and it's just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. This is, I don't have any real problems. And I like, when yeah. and they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, I explained, I see how privileged I am and all these things. And uh, you know, it's just, I don't have any, I was, it's just that, you know, it, some days it just really fucking hurts to breathe. It just seems really hard mm. to be alive. And, and mm-hmm. she goes like, that's a real problem. And I was yeah. like, I just like I was like oh my god just being recognized that like oh it's fucked up and that's okay that it's fucked up to feel that way I know that makes a lot of sense to me that you I mean I I used to I've done combat sports my whole life I think there's a lot of positive things to combat sports I recommend them to a a lot of people they're Mm -hmm. not for everybody whatever but I do remember like I don't do striking anymore because yeah um or as much just because jujitsu you can do for a long time and not get brain damage even though you go hard and striking Mm. is all about brain damage if you go hard but i remember like feeling like i used to say like i had to get hit once or twice to wake up in even a spar like i it just it felt good and i like liked it Mm. you know this sort of and what you were just saying about like it creates a sort of like height to go to and then come down from it creates a sort of synchronous pain and emotional experience physically with what you are going through emotionally yeah Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the times, so basically since, since the first lot of therapy, it's been very few and far between when I've self-harmed. And before this year, it was like, I'd gone years without any of that. Mm. And then, yeah, it's those moments when you're, it's just those, those massive emotions and I don't really know what to do with them. Yeah, Like, it's kind of like a, um, yeah, it's like when you're in a lot of physical pain and you have to like kind of jump or hit yourself or something because you just don't know what to do. Right. It's similar to that. Like it's really – and so I think I just fall back on that um, coping mechanism sometimes, which is, you know. It's like popping a pimple. It's, yeah, yeah. 
That's weird. And but, yeah, know. I never, I never used it to attempt suicide. Although I had a lot of suicidal ideation when I was younger, which is a weird thing. Like now, when I'm living, I'm like, oh, you know, this is a bit crap now. But you know, I could have killed myself. You know. Yeah. And at least I'm here. You know, and it it's kind of makes life a bit less serious. Mm. What do you mean in by that? Way? Like. I'm just like, wow, I spent like years of my life wanting to end my life and now I'm here so it's kind of like a like a bonus. I'm like, yeah, well. Yeah. You, you like, know, I you, survived you, like, made it. Yeah, you survived it so now it's all like a blessing. It's all like Yeah, exactly. Time. And I get really, I have these moments in, in really positive moments in my life sometimes, like a really good concert or um, like my sister's wedding, I just lose it because I'm like, oh, I could have not been here. Fuck, you know? that's so important. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> that's good. I just think it's good mm. to hear because I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just going to let that speak for itself, man. That's really good. <laughs> Damn. Um. Okay, well, uh, oh, yeah, last I just I guess I'll say like, so what do you, does it come up now? You said it's starting to come up a little bit more now. Like, what do you do? Uh, obviously you you've taken the steps of like getting back in therapy and doing stuff like that but in mm. the moment do you stop yourself from it or like what do you say to yourself if like the instinct comes up now yeah I think honestly in the really heightened emotional states and they use this in dbt as well distraction can actually be really helpful yeah like um just watching it sounds kind of like just watching TV or playing a video game, yeah. focusing on something else, especially if I'm really anxious. And then if I'm really like upset about something specific, I'll try to write it out. I try to talk talk it out with people that I trust and kind of wait until that kind of peak of the wave has passed kind of thing. Got it. That's good. But that's a very tactile coping mechanism. Sometimes I think that my attraction to uh, gaming and stuff is is for that. Like yeah. what you just said that like part of it's ADD stuff and part of it's just because I love video games, whatever, it's fine. But I do think sometimes it's just to like, this is more productive than anything else that my brain is telling me to do. Yeah. And it kind of just, it, it can be really helpful. Like distraction, you don't want to use it all the time. Like you want to confront your stuff. Right. But sometimes when you have nothing else to do, and especially with like big anxiety feelings where there's a situation you can't control, I find those kinds of distractions just until you like kind of settle a bit can be really helpful. That's good. Um, well, let me, um, let me go to three. Let's say what's something cheesy you find inspiring. Uh, like, like everything that's meant to inspire you, like Disney movies, <laughs> like songs, like any, anything that's meant to be feel good will work on me. Kind of. <laughs> it's like, you know, things that people would roll their eyes at, like we'll be watching, um, I think me and my friend were watching Coco, the Disney movie, and I'm just oh. like there crying, and she's like, "Why are you crying?" And I'm I, like, "Oh, I've heard that's beautiful so nice. movie though. I've heard that's a very I've I've never actually seen Coco, but I I've heard people say it's amazing. Yeah, and so any of that, like any feel good movies, feel good songs, it just like especially the, the music aspect of it. I think that's why Disney movies get me. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling what they want me to feel now. Yeah, I totally get that. I. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I love mm. musicals for that reason. So I mean, yes, yeah, completely. Um, did you like? Uh, did you like La La Land? Mm. Yeah, like it's not my fave. Yeah, it's... I'm just curious. I, I, there's like, I think of that 
that theme from La La Land is just one of those things that's such a like whatever that it's like yeah. in my head sometimes as just a like mm. I don't know it's just such a musical bright it's another day of su- whatever um, oh, it's, it could be a little bit neurotic I guess <laughs> but for some reason it works on me I just like love it yeah there can be certain songs especially from musicals where you just put them on and then you're like okay this is the mood I'm in now you know this is this sets the tone yeah totally Bjork is good for that too I feel like Mm. Um. Anyway, okay, that's a good one. Um. Four is what's something dark about you? And I, I've got to amend this question, I think, because mm. everyone always share, we're always just talking about all this dark stuff. Maybe, maybe the question should be something like, "What's something dark about you that you think is like fun and good and cool?" You know what I mean? Oh, okay, fun and good and cool, dark stuff. Well, just like I don't know, because I'm yeah. like, obviously, I, originally I asked it because. I I felt like the people I was going to be interviewing more were people who maybe people already had a preconceived notion of. And I was like, let's talk about our dark stuff. Nobody shows their dark stuff to the world. But then that's like a lot of what we're doing is stuff that's traditionally yeah. considered dark. So I think I kind of want to shift it because it's still about like normalizing our darkness, I guess. Like, do you, mm. yeah, do you have anything that's like that people thinks fucked up maybe or what society says is, but like, I don't really think it is that much. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. It's kind of a weird question. But just if there's anything like that, I don't know. Yeah, I think even just like what we were talking about before, like getting into those really existential philosophical discussions off the bat about life, death, heaven, hell, religion, all of that stuff. Yeah. It's just such a normal place to go, you know? Yeah. And it's just such a something that I want to explore, but it can really throw people off guard. Yeah, um, for sure. So I guess that's kind of something that people see as dark, but I see as something that I'm just always like kind of yeah. thinking about, talking about. Yeah, something I think about a lot. You know that copy pasta that's like, I don't, I hate small talk. Talk to me about aliens. Talk to me about the, the mm. set. You know what I'm talking about? There's like a copy pasta. Yeah. I, it's like this funny, like basic copy pasta, whatever. I, um, I think about it a lot because I'm like, oh, I really am that insufferable person like Absolutely. I, i'm like i know that i'm a meme but also i'm like yeah. that's me <laughs> you know in so many ways i'm like oh i'm so hashtag deep like tell me <laughs> yeah. about the world and i'm like yeah like i hate it like sometimes i hear myself talking but you like you can't you're not going to deny that aspect of yourself you yeah know? Ma- maybe that is maybe that ties it too close to like the third question the cheesy one but it's like maybe the question should be like what's something dark and or dumb about you that is yeah like, you know? Like that's like the dumbest part of me for sure, but I love it. Yeah, yeah, and I I get like the the stereotype. Like it's it's quite funny, and I know it's not like the most like everyone has these thoughts. I think I just yeah, and sometimes I can feel myself annoying people, but I'm just like hmm, this is what I need to talk about right now. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that. Mm. I don't know. That's funny because that is for for me when I feel like I'm being a weirdo. Sometimes, yeah, it's just weird. I guess it like has to do with like what mood I'm in, whether I like embrace mm. it, and I'm just like these people think I'm a weirdo right now, and I really like yeah. that. Or I'm like these people think yeah. I'm a weirdo right now. I am a weirdo. I'm such a fucking alien. What am I doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's funny. That's what alcohol helps me with. I'm like, oh, I'm a weirdo, but at least I have an excuse for it. You know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get better at it and just being like, just be myself. I don't know it's weird i feel like mm. um self-esteem has like reared its head as like a way harder problem for me as i've gotten older in a weird mm. way um that it wasn't when i was younger and i wonder if it isn't because i just do less inhibition lowering stuff 
But I don't know. Anyway, that's interesting. Um, mm. All right. Yeah. What's the last gorgeous thing you saw? That's the fourth question. Um, I took the train down to, it's a place called Wollongong, which is like an hour south of Sydney. Um, and I went to university there and I went yesterday and you just like along the whole train ride, you just see the coast and the ocean and that's gorgeous. Yeah. Australia seems so mm. pretty. I've never been to Australia. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. Like it's kind of on fire now. I don't know if you know. I've, I've um, heard. I've heard. Yeah. So that's shit. Um, but where I live, like very luckily for me specifically in Sydney, there's like, you know, it's very built up. So we're not in danger and it is really beautiful, like living close to the ocean and all of that. But yeah, I guess there's all of, <laughs> it's just fun. Like it's, you're like, yeah, it's so beautiful here in Sydney. And then you're like, oh, but also the sky is clouded with smoke and like people are losing their houses. And then you just sit with that and you're like, what am I supposed to do? I know. I, well, I live in California, which is also obviously like legendarily on fire all the time. Mm. I don't know. There's got to be some big metaphor in the fact that like the sunsets are so fucking beautiful and the sky is full of smoke. Mm. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's it's just mm. rough, man. It's weird to watch yeah. climate change so present on the planet yeah. and and for it to know it's still like I don't know. I, was, I, I saw this video on Twitter of like uh, a dog hurt, like a top down, like a drone shot of a dog hurting sheep. And mm. and with the thing was the comment, a sheep is a particle, a herd is a wave. And I was I mm. and I never heard that. I was like, that's people like human beings are like that, which is also the men in black thing of like when Tommy Lee Jones is like a person is smart. People are dumb and scared and blah, blah, blah. You know, mm. this thing of like an individual which is something i've learned over and over with my good brain every individual is dimensional and you know thoughtful every individual is like a particle you know it could go any direction it could figure something out but whenever we get together in groups like this wave quality takes over where there's like this very predictable movements to to us and mm. i was like wondering like on a like one thought i had a while ago was like bacteria colonies i was like are the only aggressive bacteria the ones on the edges and all the ones on the interior are like hey stop doing the colonizing we don't need it anymore we're fine but there's something about proximity mm. to the edge that makes them and i was like are people like that is it like always going to be this thing where most of us are like hey we're fine but then there's some people at the fringes who are always like no we have to keep destroying and consuming and it's just the yeah. nature of like we just fall into the function of our place in the human wave. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it defies logic. I, like so defies logic. Yeah, I I don't know if this is that made me just think of like I just think all the time of how we're kind of born into this world and we don't like it's just it's so basic, but it's just like we don't know what's going on and we made all of this up and. There's a lot of shit happening, but that's just like it is what it is. Like that's the way things are. But we just made all of it up. I know. And it freaks me out I all know. the time. I think of that all the time. We just made all of it up. There's like a, literally there's... everything's made up. And it, it, get, it gets me so much when people act as if there aren't solutions to problems because the systems right. in place won't allow it. And I'm like, we made the systems. Like, mm. There's a, an author, um, I think it was Ursula K. Le Guin, and she's like a sci-fi author and i saw this clip of her speaking at some kind of she got some like lifetime achievement award or something for right i don't know but she says this thing basically it's do with like about capitalism the systems that we have in place whatever but she was like mm. you know 
the the part of it there's a lot of great stuff she says in it but the part i'm thinking of is she's like there was a significant uh portion of human history where we believed in the divine right of kings <laughs> and mm. like that changed yeah and just because we're in this system now doesn't mean it can't change and uh Absolutely. i think that's very in this nice to remember because it seems so impossible while we're in it you know yeah yeah, and I think it's comforting to see, like, even the way young people are voting in these elections and things like that, like knowing in the future, hopefully, you know, we're going to move in the right direction. Seriously. Seriously, hopefully. But I always think about, like, I consider myself so progressive, but then I know that most old people aren't. So I'm like, what are going to be the issues when I'm old that I'm conservative about? <laughs> I think about that all the fucking time. I'm like, yeah, how like, is funny it gonna be is it going to be? Yeah, what is the thing that's going to happen that I'm going to be like, this has gone too far, you know? Yeah, and I'm going to be so out of touch and like so conservative and it's going to, I don't know what it's going to be. I know, it's really funny to think about. I'm so curious. Mm. I guess we'll find out. I, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to leave it there before I just go sci-fi off too much. Uh, oh, yeah, what's your, uh, what's, give me something for, let's add something to the what, uh, don't kill yourself list. Yes, don't kill yourself, please. Um, I think like music, like live music, if you can access it. If not, just music in general, whatever makes you feel things. That's probably already on the list, but I'm gonna re-add Doesn't it. Doesn't matter. Everyone gets to add their own. Yeah. I want you to tell me why for you live music, because everybody has different experiences of it. I've never been that much of a live music person, mm-hmm. so I'm just curious what it is. You know what I mean? What, okay, yeah. well, two questions, actually. One, do you like live music at restaurants? <laughs> no, I hate that. Yeah, okay, that's fucking terrible, right? That's always yeah, like... Yeah, no, I, I'm really sensitive to sound, like loud sounds and a lot of sounds at once. And yeah. so that's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> that's so fun. Yeah, because everyone's like, live music. And I'm like, live music at a restaurant is like the worst thing ever. I'll go to like yeah. a jazz bar sometimes. I have mm. gone to like jazz bars and be like, wow, these guys are fucking amazing. But you're there to see mm. the jazz. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Okay, so so yeah, but for shows, like yes. what is it? Because, okay, I do feel like I started to have an access to and understand because I went to, I saw some show recently that I was like, this is some, it was actually like EDM stuff. I think EDM shows are like really mm. can be so amazing because there's these huge multimedia. There's just so much about it. But yeah. prior to that, a lot of the time I go to a show and I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. And then I, and I'm like, I'm good after like 15 minutes. So what is it about mm. shows for you that you love? I just, I'm, this is totally selfish. Like, <laughs> I want you to explain to me. Because sometimes other people's experiences, like, I go, I'm like, oh, I want to go try their their experience, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a bit to it. I think the first thing is, like, often, you know, you have these artists who have these songs that resonate so deeply with you, and then you go to see them, and then everyone else in the audience is also resonating really deeply for, and you get to see that. Yeah. And it's like, wow, we're all connected. And even at, like, fun dance things, you know, just seeing everyone kind of, and I sometimes get this experience even at a good club. Like I'll just look out at everyone having fun and I'm like, wow, we're connected. We're all, you know, so so fun, so happy, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think also I just get a lot of thinking done. I think when you're at a live show, again, if it's like someone that you uh, – a song that you re- really resonate with, music that you really resonate with, I tend to like meditate on the song and have like little – yeah, you, you're like you're like focused on that one thing and it can help, I guess, in the same way that listening to the song does, but like amplified. 
Yes. Just because it's so present, it's so immediate. Yeah. But like I just, you know, I go to a lot of gigs of like artists that, you know, I've listened to that I'm big fans of them. So the songs already have a lot of meaning to me. And it's pretty cathartic. Like I cried almost every show that I go to. Yeah, that's all that makes total sense. Because I do Mm. love I like love live performance generally. Mm. But I mean, I do. Yeah, I do. I used to say (laughs) that I was like, I like doing it. I don't like going to it. You know, I was like, I was like, I do mm-hmm. theater. I don't go to theater, uh, <laughs> which is silly. But um, recently I started doing a little bit of live performance stuff again that happened totally by accident. And I have just, it's just been like the light of my life recently. So I don't know. I think that's mm-hmm. important. It's like, there's something very ritual, beautiful, spiritual about human beings getting together and mm. uh, experiencing art like that, you know? Yeah, you Absolutely. Know? Well, yeah, that's good. Oh, I will say this last thing too. The vibrations, the resonance thing. You know, that's like very literal also. Mm. Um, Somebody told me this recently. Like if you have two guitars like that are uh, tuned to the same tuning basically and one's on the other side of the room and you pluck like the E string on this other side of the room, the one on the other side of the room will start vibrating also like at the same, like Mm. subtly, but it will start doing it. And that thing about good vibes only and vibrations and it it really is, it's a real thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I I was reading my old pretentious diaries the other day and I had written something about, because I play guitar and like hitting a chord that resonates and you can feel it in your body, but it's true. Like you can feel that stuff in your body. Yes. And Yeah, it has such a profound effect. And I think it affects different people to different extents. Yeah. Like people who don't enjoy musicals, it's like, oh, they just, the feeling doesn't permeate them. Right. Yeah. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, just give me all of it, you know? Totally. But yeah, yeah. Man, thank you. This is wonderful. Thanks for doing the first uh, Our Good Bad Brain in a while. And thanks for like being so game after... (laughs) like i don't know half a year or something no worries thanks for having me it's been a really cool experience it's such a cool thing that you're doing and i hope like someone is cool with my ramblings and get something out of it Thank you for listening to My Good Bad Brain. My Good Bad Brain. Uh, you can support the pod at patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain. You can also get some cool clothes and stuff I made at mygoodbadbrain.com. Merch, baby, merch. Uh, that's it. Thank you so much for being here. See you again soon. Self-care. Hydrate. Be well. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.